Welcome to Max Volume, where we deliver loud takes at soothing decibels. Uh, that's the new slogan. I'm going to see how it works. So try it on for size. See how you feel about it. There's going to be no Stephen A. Smith levels of screaming here. Just cute little 20, 30-minute snackable takes on the lightest aspects of pop culture. So today is podcast 29, and I'm feeling refreshed. I found out today that my upcoming jury duty was canceled, so yay for delaying responsibilities and something arduous. Never had to do it before, but doesn't seem like something fun, unless it was like a really like intense case, you know, something like like the Rainmaker, or like a 1990s uh, John Grisham novel. Maybe that would be fun. Actually, that would last a long time, so maybe that wouldn't be fun, and you'd be sequestered. And actually, it's kind of funny. I thought, no matter the case, I, th- I thought that you would be sequestered regardless of, you know, if it was a small robbery, if it was a civil dispute. I thought, if you're in jury duty, you get sequestered, so it freaked me out. But my dad, who's a lawyer, thank you, Lloyd, uh, told me that like 99% of the time you don't get sequestered, you get to go home. So it seems a lot less arduous. So bring it on, jury duty, I guess. Now I'm excited, now that I don't have it. So grass is always greener. I guess I'm feeling kind of wonky because I got sucked into a 3 a.m. viewing of a really well-done 2010s action movie last night. And, you know, it's like, you're looking through the channels, you're looking through Netflix, getting previews, and you're kind of like mildly amused by a trailer. You're like, oh, this seems like fun. And then you don't check the time, the runtime of it, and bam, like two and a half plus hours later, sun is coming up and you know, you're know you fired up because you just watched a satisfying action movie. And that, that happened to me. And I think it's happened to everyone at some point. Maybe not 3 to 5 a.m. Like, uh, because I run a little bit later than the normal human being. But I'm sure at like 11 p.m. you tried something and one one thirty, and you're like, God, I gotta wake up for work at six a.m. This isn't good. So I think it's I think it's relatable. I think we've all done that. And the movie in question that I was watching was Olympus Has Fallen, and it's not a slouch of an action movie. It's God, how do I describe this? So the White House gets taken over by North Korean terrorists, and the president's held hostage, and they like blow up all of DC, like they are just taking planes and like 50 caliber, uh, like guns attached to them and just murdering people on the street, blowing stuff up. And it seems oddly like, because you think, you know, the White House is such a secure, uh, such a secure place. You're like, this is how it would need to be if you needed to take over the White House. So for some reason, even though it's hyper ridiculous, it seems grounded in reality. Like if you had to do this, you had to take this, you know, modern day fort that is the White House. This is how you do it. It's directed by Antoine Fuqua, who did Training Day, a bunch of other really good action movies, Shooter. He's done like 76 movies, and most, like, 80, 85% of them are uh, just fun action movies that are mindless, like Equalizer, Equalizer 2. So, of course, of course he did this well. And the, middle, the main guy in it is Gerard Butler, and he's the Secret Service guy who has to save the president all by himself against this entire terrorist group. And... Gerard Butler really got me fired up and it's like, he was why the movie worked. He's why I suspended reality. And he was who I was rooting for and having fun watching, you know, get into these diehard like situations. So I decided to do an all Gerard Butler pod, like deep diving into what makes him such a decadent treat to watch. And I'm trying to like define what makes him, what's the essence of Gerard Butler and like, what, what is his magnetism? What pulls me towards him? why his movies are just fun for the most part. And I found myself oddly, maybe I was hungry, but I was comparing actors to food or prepared dishes. 
So like, what are staples in our daily lives, both actor and food wise? Uh, who's like a once in a while treat? Who's like a high end extravagance? Who's like a caviar? Maybe like a Daniel Day Lewis or something like that, you know, once every two years. And it's really, you know, just a treat. And it's, a, it's only for a certain select amount of people and not everyone understands it. Or like, who's the street for? street food joys that like everyone kind of in that's quick and digestible. Like maybe the rock, you know, would be like that Mexican corn with uh, the red uh, pepper stuff on it. And, like all that butter or something like that. I, I can't pronounce the name. It's something, something I can't pronounce, but that's what he would be like. And now I'm obviously going to do another po- entire pod on that describing food and actor comparisons and the reason behind them. Cause that's just going to be fun. And maybe I'll eventually do a cooking show where I cook the metaphorical dish with the actor, actors in question. And I would call it the delicious deconstruction of me or meta cooking for the 21st century actor. It's still in the works. It's still, you know, I'm batting around with Netflix, Amazon, you know, Prime has me on contract, you know, for the idea, but I'm shopping it around to like Columbia. Uh, I'm shopping it around to God. MGM, a few other ones. So we'll see. It's in the works. But the main inspiration was Mr. Butler. So after much deliberation, I decided he is, drum roll, bad drum roll. I can't do a good drum roll. Uh, he's a red velvet waffle with cream cheese frosting. Now you think, huh, that's a, that's a very unique and specific thing for an actor. And so what's going on? So think about if you think about it, it makes sense. I know at first you're kind of like taking it back. You're like, I don't know. It just seems like just seems a little obscure, but stay with me here. He's decadent. It's something that you you don't really want to watch all the time. You want to see him in like these crazy action movies where you know the most absurd stuff is happening. He's over the top. You know, I mean, it's just always uh, really strange things are happening to him. You know, the president's being captured and the White House is burning, or. He has 300 uh, Spartans with him and he's defending himself against 10,000 Persians. Or, I mean, he's killing uh, killing tens of or dozens of people from a jail cell while like lawyers interrogate him about how he's doing it. Or, I mean, he's shooting up LA street corners with, uh, I mean, fighting, uh, what are they called? Fighting uh, bank height, I mean, like, uh, robbers in the middle of like the day in LA with machine guns. It's just, you have to suspend reality. So, and he's fascinating to gawk at. He's fascinating to look at, you know, he's a, uh, if he got served on your plate, you'd want to take Instagram pictures of him. You know what I mean? And you can only enjoy him as a guilty treat every once in a while. You couldn't survive on Gerard Butler movies. So, you know, if it was a desert Island and you had to pick someone's catalog, it wouldn't be this. It's like once Every couple of months, you'll stumble upon a Gerard Butler movie, and you're like, okay, this is not necessary, but it's fun to watch. And that's how I feel. And that's how I feel about Red Velvet, Cream Cheese, Frosted, Waffles, too. So I'm pretty proud of this. I think it was good. So let's deep dive into Mr. Willy Wonka, Pancake himself. He's a man of Scottish descent. I mean, if you ever heard that accent, he's got that uh, kind of Colin Farrell, you know, I mean, very kind of, you can't understand him particularly well. Cause he's got that just deep guttural kind of masculine Scottish accent, which is always fun. Apparently he never acted before he was 25. He was a law student in Glasgow and he was, he got discovered in a coffee shop by someone who was just like, Hey, you look like you could act. Let's, let's try this. And then bam, dropped out of law school and he's small role in a bond film. And he bounced around middling action movies in like the early two thousands. He was in this movie called Attila 
Reign of Fire, which is a really fun movie, by the way. It's him, Christian Bale, Matthew McConaughey in like the post-apocalyptic future where dragons exist. Yep, actual dragons. And dragons are like taking over the world and it's our last stand kind of against them. So think like Terminator meets Game of Thrones. And I mean, it's fun. It's dark. It's silly. But uh, he's in that. He's in uh, one of the Laura Croft movies. It's kind of her foil on the other side. They got good chemistry too. I wonder if they dated at all. I feel like they, they could have dated. They seemed like they had really good chemistry. But he's really not a household name until uh, Zack Snyder's 300 in 2006, I believe it is. Let's see, 2006. Yeah. So he exploded onto the scene as King Leonidas in this movie. And my God, this movie like changed cinema, I think, for a while. Because this was, this was a revolutionary movie because it was a shot-for-shot shot remake of a Frank Miller comic. And it kind of it was two years before Iron Man and, you know, the whole Marvel DC universe. And it was kind of the godfather of these over-serious, gory, green screen, shredded half-naked men battling testosterone fests that would bleed into the superhero genre. So, and it's just a fun watch. You know what I mean? It's just, I mean, the the guys, I, I think you can look it up online. The way they trained was like basically like Navy SEALs and like some of them had serious psychological problems, even from even later because they were working out so hard and dieting so intensely. So, I mean, that's always fun. You always want to hear like crazy stories about how they bled for that movie. And I mean, in this movie, you see Gerard Butler's intensity, like his ability to bust out the charm and comedy in dire situations. He's kind of like a buff diehard era Bruce Willis, just rugged masculinity. He's got that big old beard and he's shouting like, this is Sparta and kicking people down wells. And I don't know. It's just, and also, I mean, he seems like a loving husband and a good father. He can dial it up and then bring it back to reality when he needs to. So he can dial it up to 13, and then he can calmly, you know, put on his radio voice and just kind of soothe you back into a sense of everything's okay. So he's got range. The man's got range. And he also did a Guy Ritchie movie, Rock and Rolla, one of the Lesser known of the Guy Ritchie movies. I know most people know Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels, and Snatch. But Rock and Roll is still really good. And he's kind of a low-level British gangster. And he's doing his kind of a Daniel and Craig impression. And he can do it really well when he wants to. Like, he could have been Bond. I think he was rumored to be Bond, actually, after Pierce Bronson. So, kind of a shame. That's a what if. I could, I could have seen him doing it. And he cleans up well in a suit. He's quick-witted. He's got sex appeal for days. Boyish humor and looks. And the movie worked, and he's the, he's the center of a major, you know, Guy Ritchie movie. And he has a, kind of these sprinkling. He does, like, he's done, like, 75, 80 movies, and he's got, like, a lot of rom-coms and overly serious Shakespearean roles that never take off commercially. They never seem to do that well or are well-known. He has some, like, Catherine Hegel movies. I think P.S. I Love You is one of them. Or he did, like, Beowulf and Grendel. Or he did another... Uh, Shakespearean movie with uh, Ray Fiennes, Coriolanus. God, I'm, I'm murdering that name. But uh, he's just, when he goes out of his lane, it's just, it's not, it doesn't work for him. He's not, you know, he he's a guy that I want to suspend reality for. I want absurdist bull plop. You know what I mean? I want the president's in trouble. I want, there's a bank heist and he needs to help. I want, I want, Gerard to be, you know, in these crazy, like, 
fever dream situations that uh, you go to the movie theater for and just shove popcorn in your mouth while you're, you know, eyes roll back at the screen. And then after these movies, uh, he rips off Gamer as this guy Cable with a K. Great name, by the way. Cable's not used enough as a name, I think. That's especially in action movies, especially with a K. And he's a, it is like in the future. He's the baddest dude in a human gaming system. And it's of the vein of these movies like Crank, who, same director, it's Nevadine and Taylor movies. It's these manic movies that are all quick cuts, really gory, fun, sweaty, sepia-toned action. And they never really get that much credit. They're kind of seen as like trash or pulp, pulpy movies, but they seem really hard to direct and create. So I don't understand why they're not given more credit because it seems difficult to make them. So, but like I said, I mean, it's a gaming movie of the future where a kid is like controlling his body as he's like the number one gamer in the world on like a televised show where they're murdering actual people. And this sounds, you know, ridiculous. How could this work as a movie? But like I said, something about him, just you, you look at him, you see like the masculinity, the intensity and the fun he kind of has in these movies. And you're like, you know what? I'm along for the ride. And then two years later, he does, uh, I don't know, same, same year, he does Law Abiding Citizen, where he plays Clyde Shelton. And it's kind of a mousetrap for murder movies kind of movie. It's, uh, he's basically getting revenge for his murdered family by killing people in these very elaborate, insane ways that like, if you've seen Final Destination, where it's kind of like, it's, God, what are those machines called where, you know, when you touch one thing and then something falls off a cliff and then a ball bump moves into a bucket, you know what I mean? Like it's like 15 things to get something done. It's one of those, but for murdering people. I mean, he uses like T-bone steaks to kill people and cell phone guns and just, he's doing it all from being inside a jail cell and not touching anything. And it's pretty impressive. It's really fun. Him and Jamie Foxx just chewing up scenery. And it's got one of the best, like he's the best, damn it you know, uh, scenes where it's like, because he worked for the CIA killing people in these creative ways. And now he's doing it to kill the people who killed his family. So who isn't into that? That's a great elevator pitch for a movie. So I really judge a movie 93% on how much I enjoy the elevator pitch of it. Because if you can't describe a movie in two sentences, you, I mean, it's got to be like David Lynch level weird for it to work if you can't really describe it in two sentences. So this one was, this was an all timer for me. And I was looking through his IMDb. He has a movie called Machine Gun Preacher, which never heard of, but I need to watch that. What a title. I mean, there's just so many questions. It's like, is, I mean, is his name Machine Gun? I mean, does he have arms made of machine guns? It's like, I wanna know what's going on. Where in the world is he doing this? Was he forced to use machine guns or is it, he's always been like, a violence first kind of preacher or did someone close to him die and that's why he's vowed to you know use violence to preach i just i need to see it i'm so intrigued and then uh, he does olympus has fallen as mike banning and like i said you know i mean he's one man against an entire terrorist group trying to save the president and he's got on screen he knows how to cock a gun really well and i'm telling you like people who the way that people hold and shoot guns is just really important in action movies. Like if you've seen the new Chris Hemsworth movie extraction, it's like the way that guy can handle a gun is just fun to watch. And Butler's in the top five, I think of how he handles a gun, how he shoots and how it kind of, how cool it looks kind of in his hand. I think that'll be a top five I'll do for a podcast too. It's like coolest dudes with a gun or females too. I mean, any anyway, coolest people with guns. 
And, you know, he knows how to tor- torture terrorists with a smile and, you know, kind of make fun of it. And he talks back to the people in power. He's got that, like I said, he's John McClane for kind of our generation. And nothing seems implausible when he's at the center of your movie. And he's got two other movies with the same uh, Mike Banning in a crazy situation that I need to see now. London Has Fallen and Angel Has Fallen. Just very creative titles. <laughs> but, you know, that's a good name. You're just like, oh, man, London Has Fallen? What's going on? Like an entire city? Like what could have possibly happened? And in Olympus Has Fallen, when they show uh, – DC being taken by this terrorist group, you feel like the world's ending. You're like looking outside and waiting for like post-apocalyptic Mad Max level raiders to like come into your house and pillage your place. It is, it's believable. It's weird. I know it sounds, I know that sounds insane, but like for some reason when you're watching, you're like, this could happen. And finally, I get to talk about his masterpiece, my favorite movie. And I've mentioned this before. Uh, it's Den of Thieves and he's LA County Sheriff, Big Nick O'Brien, that you need the big in there, just Big Nick O'Brien, chasing a crew of high-level bank robbers in L.A. And first off, I mean, the look of this movie, most movies he's, you know, ripped to shreds, you know, very kind of uh, svelte and good-looking. This one, he's bloated, he's drunk, he's red-faced. He's got that, like, I used to work out, or I still do, I'll still do the chest press, but it's after a night of drinking, like, 10 shots of Johnny Walker Black. I mean, it's just that that kind of thick, uh, worn down cop look. And he apparently he said he loved doing this role and like he really took it seriously. It's like, of course he did. He was like probably polishing off a fifth of Jack and like hanging out at strip clubs and, you know, smoking Marlboro Reds and menthols. Like this is he looks rough in this movie. His face looks like it's melting off. And I mean, he's got these tight Ed Hardy jeans. He's got affliction T-shirts, leather duster jackets. There's machine guns, tattoos, you know, tons of cigarettes inside. They're just smoking inside randomly because they're cops. Who's going to tell them otherwise? He had a bad, ugly divorce that they focus on way too much. And like a sad under 10-year-old kid who's confused about the situation. It just, he's the ultimate cop stereotype. And he's just chewing the scenery and messing around. Like in the first, one of the first scenes you see with, from him, there's a murder at a donut shop. He just eats one of the donuts out of the scene. And then someone's like, you can't do that. He's like, oh no, I didn't mean to. And like, you're, you're eating it right in front of me. He's like, oh, oh, my bad. And he's just, he's screwing around with them. And one of the FBI agents is like, I don't like you. And he's like, well, I, I like you, you know, just goofing off with them, just messing around. And it's like, he's got no rules, no limitations. And he seems probably in the bag, you know, 95% of the movie. He is definitely just kind of a little stumbly, goofy drunk, most of it. And I found this out today. This is my favorite news ever. There's a second one coming called Den of Thieves 2 Pantera. Why Pantera? I don't know. I know the band, like the heavy metal band. I don't know what that's referring to, but I'm so, I'm so into that. So whatever Den of Thieves 2 Pantera is, I will run, speed walk. I will drive way above the speed limit to go see that movie, to see Big Nick O'Brien just drinking and, you know, just, being absurd and that that's that's all i want from an action movie that's all i want from gerard butler and also i mean like props to him he's he did the uh pixar voiceover in how to train your dragon the trilogy he's just a big old pixar viking and it just fits the he really uses his at real accent in uh his movies so it's kind of refreshing and it's fun to see and apparently once in real life he saved a kid from drowning 
So he's a real life hero too. So that makes me feel better. You want to root for people that you root for in real life. So you're like, thank you. That's good stuff. So, I mean, I just want to say thank you, Gerard. Uh, you deserve breakfast for of a treat that makes my world like 9,000 times better. So I'm going to go watch London Has Fallen and then I'm going to watch Angel Has Fallen. And then I'm going to write a script for another one. I'll call it, uh, let's see, King Tut Has Fallen. No, that's not, that's not good. I'm talk, I'm, when I'm on my feet like this, I'm trying to think. Uh, we've done New York. Manhattan Has Fallen, maybe? No, it needs to be more politically, like Paris has fallen. There we go. Paris has fallen. That'll be the fourth installment of Mike Banning's adventures. So you heard it here first. So have a good day, everyone. Later.